my guest today, Justin Tranter, is one of the top songwriters and collaborators in the music industry, writing with everyone from Lady Gaga, Dua Lipa, and Selena Gomez to Demi Lovato, BB Rexa, Brandy Clark, Shay Diamond, and countless others. With their astonishing success and abundant self-love, you'd never imagine Justin was bullied mercilessly as a kid growing up in Chicago. Every day, in fact, was torture until the Chicago Academy for the Arts High School provided a, a place of refuge and emergence and ultimately saved their life. Starting out in the business, Justin began their career on stage as the figurehead of the, the glam punk band Semi-Precious Weapons, but eventually discovered something surprising. They didn't actually need to be on stage to do the part of the work they loved, which was collaborating and writing and often helping other leading artists create works of art that told their stories in a powerful way and moved millions. And Justin has since become a true pioneer in the music industry, working tirelessly to elevate the voices of everyone around them, whether marginalized people, emerging artists, or global pop icons. And along the way, Justin has remained a committed philanthropist and GLAAD board member, using their platform to rally for change across a number of causes, including representation and inclusion for LGBTQIA plus people, women, and women of color. And in 2018, coming full circle, Justin made this beautiful gesture, donating to fund a state-of-the-art recording studio and part-time music teacher at the very same place that was their salvation as a kid, the Chicago Academy for the Arts. So excited to share this conversation with you. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Good Life Project. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Good Life Project is brought to you by Understood Explains, a podcast that's like a beacon for parents navigating the special education system. Hosted by Juliana Urtube, a special education expert, this season is all about individualized education plans, or IEPs. Juliana breaks down complex topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP in a way that's easy to grasp. I checked out an episode of Understood Explains about the difference between IEPs and 504 plans, and I was struck by the balance of empathy and practical advice. It's not just about understanding the system. It's about empowering parents and caregivers to advocate for their children, which is just so important. So I've known a number of people who've had to literally scramble to figure out how to advocate for their kids when the system seemed to just make it so hard to get the support that they need and deserve. So if you're a parent navigating this world or even just wondering if it's right for your family, I encourage you to give Understood Explains a listen. Search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. It's like having a roadmap for a journey you didn't expect, making it a little less daunting. 
Good Life Project is sponsored by LinkedIn Ads. So as a business-to-business marketer, your needs are unique. B2B buying cycles are long and your customers face incredibly complex decisions. So isn't it time you had a marketing platform built specifically for you? LinkedIn Ads empowers marketers with solutions tailored for B2B. Imagine having direct access to a billion professionals, including 180 million senior executives and 10 million C-level leaders with LinkedIn's powerful targeting tools built for B2B, you can drive serious results. LinkedIn ads generated two to five times higher return on ad spend than other social platforms in the technology space. We've actually tapped the power of LinkedIn ads a number of times ourselves, and the campaigns have been really successful. If you're ready to revolutionize your B2B marketing, try LinkedIn ads with a $100 credit on your next campaign. Terms and conditions apply. Go to linkedin.com slash goodlifeproject to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash goodlifeproject or just click the link in the show notes. Terms and conditions apply. I understand when you were a kid also, you used to paint the lines of songs on your walls from Jewel, Tori Amos, Polycole, and the like. That is very true. And I don't ever remember telling that story publicly, but I'm sure I did. No <laughs> idea how you know that. <laughs> but, but yes, I did. I was uh, just so obsessed and still am with, you know, all of the female singer-songwriters from the 90s. Um, never really connected to male artists ever. <laughs> and so it's just, my walls were covered with lyrics of Jewel, uh, Ani DeFranco, Tori Amos. There was a huge Paula Cole quote on my ceiling above my bed that I would wake up to every morning. I was 17, desperate to get the fuck out of a small town. That lyric was like everything that uh, mattered to me. So yeah, that is that is true. I don't know how you found that out, but that, that is true. Our, our, our crack research crew here <laughs> uh, goes deep into every aspect. We've actually been trailing you for the last 30 years by camera, so we kind of have it all on tape. <laughs> um, you know, there there is something about, um, especially the women who were um, performing the sort of singer songwriters at that time, that was so deeply moving. I mean, it's like I can remember the first time I heard Tori Amos, oh. um, and I was just like, "What is this?" And then the first time I heard Paula Cole, and then and I, I heard the voice, and it, it was haunting. And then when she started to split off and do her own thing, I was like, "Wow, yeah, such deep power." And 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 the lyrics also it was so moving. Yeah, she, I was obsessed with all, as I said, all, all of those women of that time. Um, but Paula Cole, uh, I think for, you know, for a long time was my number one and maybe in a lot of ways still is just because there was a big like theatrical element to what she did as well. Um, and as, as you can see from this outfit I'm wearing today, even on a casual Wednesday, I am very over the top. So the over the topness of Paula Cole really, really spoke to me. And she's just amazing. She sounds just as good as she did when she was in her 20s. She's, it's amazing. Oh, that's awesome. I'm going to have to go check that out, actually. I remember seeing Jewel for the first time on public access TV in New York before she had broken. And she's just playing a set with her guitar. And and I'm I'm like, who, who is this? <laughs> you know, and then 18 months later, it's like Mega the whole star. world. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it is really it's so cool to sort of like catch the really, 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 really early moments of artists like that. Yeah, it's yeah, Jewel, a friend of mine was was way into Jewel before anybody else knew about it. And she played me a song um 
I can't remember what the song is called. It's on the big, the first, you know, the first huge massive Jewel album where she goes through and like talks about basically kids being made fun of. And there's, she uses the uh, F word, the derogatory word for, for me, for queer people. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know if I can get into this, but then I became obsessed with Jewel a couple months later, but a friend of mine was in it way before I was, but the first thing she played me was Jewel just saying the F word over and over and over. <laughs> Like, I don't know if I can do this. Yeah. And I mean, I guess that, that really, it touches on a lot of different things, but when you're a kid also, you were bullied. I mean, you, you lived a tough life yeah. simply, simply because of who you were. I mean, walking through every day for you, it sounds like was not a fun and sometimes even a dangerous experience. <laughs> yes, that is very true. <laughs> Going, I can laugh at it now. Actually, I even laugh at it then. I always knew I'm very grateful and very lucky to my parents and I guess in a way to myself that I always knew that the bullies were wrong. Um, but yeah, it was, it was tough. It was, uh, it was a weird thing looking back of like expect going to school every day, expecting something horrible to be said to you at least a couple times through every single day. But as I said at the beginning, I'm very grateful that I, I knew the whole time they were wrong. I knew that they're like, you're all going to regret this. You're all going to feel like such idiots for treating me this way. Um, Because one, what you're doing is gross. And two, uh, I'm going to get the fuck out of here and I'm going to be fabulous. And you're going to be a police officer. (laughs) And the out of here we're talking about, by the way, is um, it's a suburb of uh, Chicago where you came up. Um, Were your parents, I mean, while this was all going on, I'm always curious because it sounds like you were a pretty tight knit family. Yeah. Were your parents looped in on sort of like the reality of your day-to-day life? You know, I kept a lot of it a secret and there'd be moments where they would, something so bad would happen, whether it was, you know, a huge chunk of my hair ripped out on the bus on the way home from school. So there's really no way to hide that. Or, you know, I had, I'm the youngest of four. So anytime that we were in the same school, when there was something that was something so bad happened that kind of the whole school knew about it. My parents would hear about it. Um, they were, of course, horrified and terrified and, um, you know, always asked me, should we find you a different school? Should we do this? Should we do that? And my freshman year of high school, um, I went to public high school for one semester and it did get so bad. Just to back up a tiny bit, in the summer after seventh grade and eighth grade, I went to this theater it wasn't like a sleepover camp, but it was like a theater, summer theater program. And I met this uh, young woman named Sammy Simpkin, who was just so confident and so fierce and had like blonde hair down to her ankles. And I just wanted to be her best friend and be her uh, all at the same time. And she, she was going to the Chicago Academy for the Arts. So while I was in hell, my she kept saying, I talked to her once a week or something. And you know, because this was before texting or cell phones, it's 1994. So, you know, she would just be like, you have to come visit, you have to come visit. So before I even auditioned for the school and got into the school, I went and shadowed her for a day. And the first second I walked in there, I couldn't believe it. Just the outfits, the joy, you know, uh, students in the hallways, students talking to teachers on purpose, like, talking about whatever it was that, you know, art or, or the musical, or even just like, do you like my elf, like teachers talking to students on purpose and like 
just, you know, the, the diversity that I already mentioned, all of it. When I first walked in there, I couldn't believe it. And it was like a movie or a TV show of, you know, there's kids in their full dance outfits just stretching in the middle of the stairwell and you have to like step over them while they're in the splits or someone vocally warming up in the bathroom sounding better than any singer you've ever heard in real life. And that being exciting, but also terrifying. Like, I'm not going to get into this school. Listen to that girl. I'm, I'm curious. Do you remember, you know, the feeling of what it must have been 14 year old you, right? Uh-huh. When, when sort of like living that the prior 14 years of your life and sort of like enduring each day. Um, the first time you step into this new place, like Ugh. what the feeling of, of that was for you? I do. I remember it in my head. It looks like a movie uh, or a TV show. I can see it all perfectly still. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I'm, I'm fascinated by the concept of sliding doors mm. and, you know, we, especially when you have a school like this, which is transformative, which changed, literally changed the, the course of your life. Um, but also it's an opportunity which is available to few, you know, it's, it's a type of thing where it's an audition based type of thing. I'm fascinated by the concept of, you know, like what would have happened, you know, if on the day of your audition, you were just, you know, two steps to the left or to the right, it just, it didn't quite work out. Um, I'm curious whether you ever think of like revisit that. Well, it did happen. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what happened. I went to audition and luckily I think I said the right thing. I just said, uh, well, I want to be a superstar and I want to be safe. And he asked me a couple more questions about the safety side of things. Uh, and also about my determination that those parts are kind of vague. I don't really remember those answers, but I do remember he then just straight up said, well, I can't make you a superstar. You never will be, but I can make you safe. And that was it. Mm. <laughs> like every time I talk about it, I've told the story a hundred times. I still choke up and I'm about to cry right now, but like it was, it was insane. And I don't know why, I don't know why he thought that I deserved to be safe. Maybe he thought everyone deserved to be safe. I don't know what it was, but I fucking won the lottery uh, and never, ever look back. Yeah. I mean, that's such a beautiful moment. And also to know that there was somebody who didn't know you, wasn't invested in you. There are probably, you know, like 20 other kids in the hallway waiting to step into that same room. And to know that this person saw something in you that said, like, you need to be here. It's so powerful. Um, you end up there, like you said, you had kind of been writing songs on the side, but it sounds like pretty soon into that, um, you know, there's the musical theater side, there's a performer side. But um, it sounds like a teacher started to take notice and invite you and say like every Friday, hey, listen, there's something going on with you on the songwriting side that we need to keep leaning into. Academy Singers, which was kind of like a traveling, uh, you know, no offense to show choirs, but it was a lot fucking cooler than a show choir. (laughs) It was like, we would sing some pretty cool music and the choreography was a little more modern. Yes, it was a private school and there were some kids who could afford full tuition, but a lot of kids couldn't. And so a lot of kids were there on scholarship. And so Academy Singers was a big way that the, the school raised money. Um, I got to Academy Singers rehearsal like way early. I was in on the piano playing a song I had written called Bye Bye Princess. <laughs> you know, I remember it vividly. Terrible song, but the heart was there. Um, and... Again, kind of brutal honesty, just like Mr. Radloff, who got me into the school. Um, you know, Miss C was just like, uh, that song's not great, but there's something there. I think that there's something special here. You're 15, or maybe I was 16 at that point by the time that she she noticed. And um, 
that was another huge life-changing moment. And, um, you know, she helped me find colleges that had songwriting majors and all this stuff. And, um, you know, for my senior recital at that school, I performed like four song original songs and, you know, it was just, it's, you know, it, it changed, changed my life forever. And obviously I don't know if she hadn't walked in that day. I think I might've spent my whole career, like trying to be, you know, a chorus boy in musicals, which was never going to happen for me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like that, that was, there's so much serendipity meets, um, just constantly showing up day after day after day after day and saying, I'm going to keep doing the work. Um, you know, it's interesting also that at the same time, you're sort of developing the musical chops and, and developing the interest. Um, but it sounds like, right. And tell me if I have the timing, right. It sounds like it was right around there where you also started to say, okay, so, um, there's also an, another potential use of art and music and performance. And that's in the context of activism. Like what would happen mm -hmm. if we put these two things together? Um, especially in the context of who you are and the people around you and, and what you saw going on in the world. And you end up um, putting together a benefit, an yes. AIDS benefit in high school, which it sounds like, you know, that really was planting the seeds for a lifelong devotion to advocacy for you. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the timeline is exactly right. My senior year of high school, um, a couple of people very close to me, uh, family, friends, and actual, you know, and, and my friends and whatever, uh, you know, had been diagnosed with, with HIV. And uh, one of them was pretty close to, you know, dying from it. And I just thought like, this is crazy. We should be doing something. Um, so in my teenage confidence and delusion, I thought I could make a difference because I think it, I could, and I did make a difference, right? Um, we don't know how to do anything else. So let's just do a show. We'll raise money and, you know, we can do a silent auction, I guess. My mom helped me with that. It was amazing. And it was so uh, rewarding. And it made me go, like, like you said before, like, oh, okay, I think I get it. I can put, um, I can put art and music and performance, I can put these things together and actually have it be for something that matters. And of course, my high school was supportive of it. and. Uh, it was really, really uh, powerful in ways that I didn't even realize. I thought I was just going to raise money and do a good thing. But even inside of the school, it was this magical thing where students were in charge of it. And we were all coming together for the first time. And this, uh, this AIDS benefit still happens every single year at my school, almost 25 years later. So it's uh, really, really crazy. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, to set something in motion like that is so powerful. Um, you end up eventually moving on. Um, you head over to Boston in Berkeley Music School, um, spend a couple of years um, really honing your chops in songwriting, biz management, um, out in three years from what I understand, which, which interestingly enough, we had um, Madison McFerrin in uh, last year or the year before, okay. and, who also was at Berkeley is Bobby McFerrin's daughter. And, um, and she was telling us, you know, it was really interesting being at Berkeley because there was this weird stigma that like, if you actually were there for all four years and graduated, it was because, because you didn't get discovered. And it was almost like, it was almost a bad thing to last the entire four years. That sounds like that was sort of like your, the cultural experience you had too. No, I think, you know, I think things have changed now. Um, but I finished school. 
Um, and, you know, also I think it was really important to, cause there were, I had mentioned a couple of times of not finishing and, you know, my, uh, my dad, which I can talk about, I don't know if I've ever really talked about it, but I, he's, he's open about it. You know, he, uh, was losing everything because of computers and the job that he did was being taken over computers and the motherfucker couldn't even send an email, let alone run a business that way. Um, and so like the money that he was finding a way to pay for my school, uh, he didn't actually have anymore and was going into crazy amounts of debt to figure this out for me. So it was like, no, you're, you're going to fucking finish. Um, so I finished, but I did summers. Um, so I could get out as soon as possible. And because I, of course, was just convinced I was going to be, you know, the male Ani DeFranco, Tori Amos, Paula Cole, and just, you know, skyrocket. Um, you end up in New York uh, and you, you kind of get semi-famous, right? And, you know, semi-precious weapons, glam punk band, you're, you're, you're the front person out there. Um, and, and I guess you even, you know, like you've got label interest, you're, you're sort of like a couple iterations through the whole deal thing. Um, um, and still writing songs, but performing and really being, uh, in front. Um, but like happens to so many in the business, you know, even if you get a fast deal, even if it looks like all the stars are aligning, you know, it can get pulled out from under you in the blink of an eye. Yeah. So you're rising up, you're touring, you know, like you're, you're out there on the road, even for a couple of years with, um, Gaga on, on her monster ball tour. Um, and then the industry side kind of says, Hmm. They we're kind of done with you, but there was a safety net for you, which sounds like actually was a really another one of these moments of kismet for you. It's just sort of like, okay, maybe there is like the industry is right for for me, but maybe where I am in the industry isn't right. Yeah, I mean, it just kept being endless, endless roadblocks. So I started the band, and as you said, the band did things, and we and we had a manager, a really, really awful manager, but he was very connected, and so we just let him kind of ruin our lives continuously for many years. And he was very uh, passive aggressively homophobic. And the band was signed to Warner Chapel for our publishing deal. And we went, I went in to play the new album for so the person who signed us to publishing, very, very typical industry story. Your champion moves on, gets fired, whatever, whatever it was, your champion's gone inside of our publishing company. We're like, well, this is it. Um, let me go meet with the new person and just see what happens. But another moment of brutal honesty, uh, she said, you know, everyone knows your band's going to get dropped from Epic. Better or worse, <laughs> I did exactly what I wanted for a good amount of years. So I was ready to just kind of help other people tell their stories and elevate those and focus those the best that I could. And I thought it was taking forever. I was like, what is going on? I've written all these songs. Nobody wants them. Uh, but, you know, Kelly Clarkson cut a song like three months into this process. And I know now that that is a crazy quick time for a new songwriter. Even though I wasn't a new songwriter, new to that part of the business. Um, but yeah, walked into that office and someone said, do you want to write for other people? And I luckily said yes. And my whole life changed. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33-inch all-terrain tires and multi-terrain select, then unwinding with the available front row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. It's really interesting, right? Because you um, you, you shared something. Um, it was in Paper Magazine a couple of years back um, where you said, I think, I think so much um, my drive to be an artist, uh, a rock star frontman, was basically to prove my bullies wrong. Mm -hmm. But it feels like the the thing that actually more accomplished that and also just was the thing that let sort of like the, a really deeply fulfilling part of your career open up was not being front and center. You know, it's like, okay, I did that. Yeah. But if anything, the thing that proved them wrong and and forget about them, the thing that, that allowed you to come alive was when you stepped back from the stage and said, maybe there's another way to be in this. Yeah. I mean, in a weird way, I wonder, was that like a relief for you? Yeah. Because there's so much wrapped around you being that that front and center person. And there's also kind of living with your shields up, living with a certain amount of of vigilance. Um, when you sort of step into the side of the business that you're doing, you're like, Oh wait, this is actually not just an adequate substitute. It's actually the thing I want to do. And that level of constant like aggression and vigilance, it doesn't have to be there. Like what? Yeah. When you were first out in the music, I think back to was it 2009? You know, Adam Lambert, uh, mm. you know, American Idol. Um, then he comes out and it's this massive controversy. 
and and you're like we're not that far from that you no. know but we are on the same side i think on the performing side on the forward facing side of the business it's much more commonplace and it's not you have see so many more artists now um standing in their sexuality their gender identity um but i guess what i was curious about is while I, it feels like there's been a lot of progress and you have we're not there where we, we need to be or could be, but it feels like there's been a lot of progress on the stage side, on the performance, mm. the art side. When you show up and you start to deepen your career and you've got incredible chops, you're you know, like writing with the top names in the business, massively successful, but behind the scenes, um, on the songwriting side of things, it, is there that similar progress? Are, are there, you know, is it common? to be in a room with and to be working with and, 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 you know, with openly queer people who are on that side of the business, or was there like this lag time where the performance, the artistry side is moving a lot faster, but behind the scenes, it's still kind of more buttoned down. I'm, I'm just curious about that. No, it's a, it's a great question. You know, when you have Troy Savan, who already has a huge YouTube following, uh, when he puts out great music, People are going to hear it because he already has it. So there is no one to stop him from succeeding like that. Um, Lil Nas X, you know, I think Lil Nas X writes some of the best melodies in the world right now. I know like there's this, you know, with the what his first song being so huge and him having this very um, humorous personality that I think people are willing to write off the talent. The talent is real, you know, uh, his melodies are nuts. Um and his lyrics are quirky and smart. And anyway, you know, Lil Nas X had this huge sort of meme internet platform. So when he put out Old Town Road and, you know, whether, whether you're a fan or not, I'm a huge fan of that song. It's so good. And it's so hooky when he had that, that meme following, not even a music following. You know, he put out a couple other songs that didn't connect, but because there was a following, when he put out a song that did connect, you can't stop it. It's going to literally be the most successful song of all time because he, as a very queer person, even though he had to come out as a pop star, you know, his the people that followed him online for his memes and his Twitter jokes, they knew who he was. He wasn't hiding. Um, you know, so I think that in the artist side of things, it's progressed and it still needs to be a lot better, as you said. Um, but it's progressed because you can't stop it. Yeah. You can't. These kids can go and build their own fan base. They don't fucking need the gatekeeper. They 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 own the gate. They are the gatekeeper. <laughs> like, you know. So on the business side of things, yes, it there is a lag time. Uh, and it is, you know, when I I, I do this uh a concert every year uh to benefit Glad, um amazing LGBTQ media uh advocacy organization. And we do a concert every every year, the night before Spirit Day. And uh, if you don't know what Spirit Day is, it's just a sort of a way for everyone in schools, started in schools, but schools, media, athletes, everyone to wear purple and show that they are either LGBTQ or an LGBTQ ally. Um, so the night before we do a big concert and it's the focus on the concert is on LGBTQ songwriters. And so we have the songwriters themselves and then hopefully a couple guest stars every year of you know, quote unquote, famous people to come sing songs written or co-written by LGBTQ people. Uh, and they're always hits. I want to focus on the hits. And the first year, uh, you know, as far as I know, 
the first year I did it, I was the only openly queer person, LGBTQ person who had hits that year. So I did a handful of my songs and then I had people like Adam Lambert and other folks come and sing classics written by LGBTQ people. And then the second year, there was like three LGBTQ songwriters who had big hits. And then, you know, the last year we were able to do it before COVID happened, uh, there was like seven of us. Um, so a huge lag time in the executives, you know, things are catching up quicker. I would still like it to be more, you know, it, it needs to be a lot more LGBTQ people, but it's definitely getting better. Yeah. I mean, it, it, and as you rise up, you know, within this industry, um, you're in it for a chunk of time now, succeeding at the highest levels. And interestingly, you're on the outside, you're, you're a, a, a powerful advocate, um, you know, like participating in GLAAD, um, receiving a whole bunch of awards. Um, but also it's interesting to see you almost like from the inside out saying, okay, so if the industry, the way it's structured, isn't creating this opportunity at a pace that I would love to see, let's see if we can just do it ourselves. So yeah, after the amazing years that I've had writing songs with and for other people in this insane, fucked up, <laughs> beautiful, horrible industry. I thought like the next step for me, the next step to kind of giving back, but also growing my brand and growing my business would be to create a publishing company and a record label where talent was always put first. So, you know, there are a lot of amazing writers that because they come from marginalized groups, are not getting the attention and love they deserve or amazing artists that are not giving the love and attention they deserve. So created Facet as a way to just find young artists and writers. Well, young isn't the right word. Um, up and coming, undiscovered. Um, I don't give a shit about age. Talent does not have a number. So to find these people that deserve to be in the biggest rooms in the world and deserve to have their music heard by the world and kind of give them a shot and give them a chance to do it. Um, it's obviously still a business and it's still trying to achieve greatness emotionally and musically and financially, but really, you know, giving people a shot who normally don't get it. Yeah. I love that. You know, it's really fascinating to me also is when, I think when we think about marginalized groups these days, we often think about LGBTQ, we think about um, BIPOC, people of color, but it's kind of fascinating that in the music industry, and maybe this is unique to the music industry, but I don't think so, but I think so many people look at it really as a young person's game. It's sort of like, yeah. but especially on the writing side, like you said, yeah. it's almost like the more life you've lived, the more raw material you've got to share, but on the sort of business and forward-facing side of the industry, that's not what people are looking for. <laughs> yeah, no, there's definitely an an odd, creepy obsession with youth. <laughs> um, and again, I'm not opposed to signing young people who are shockingly talented. I, you know, I've signed an amazing artist named Edie, Y-D-E, and she's a teenager, but she's amazing. But I've also signed Shia Diamond, who is in her 40s. And, you know, when we signed Diana Gordon, she was in her 30s and I just don't see, you know, West Period's an amazing writer and artist that I've been working with for a couple of years. And I don't know his exact age, to be honest, but like, you know, he's 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 been in the business for a minute and I feel like he's just hitting his stride. I feel like, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, for me, I didn't hit my stride as a songwriter. I didn't really start writing my my best stuff until I was 
33, 34, 35. And I feel like now I'm still writing great stuff and expanding, you know, the field that I'm working in and doing all this cool film and TV stuff. And it's only getting better and, and wiser. And there is something great about that raw, like open, bloody hearted, you know, early twenties way that you write songs and approach music. But I feel like there's still a lot of beauty in other age groups that can be just as valid and just as marketable and just as consumed. Yeah. And I mean, especially right, because um, people don't stop listening to music when you're Never. in your thirties, forties and fifties. And yet, <laughs> no. you know, they want to hear lyrics and stories told that are relatable to them, to them? you know, to yeah. the, like the season. Yes. It's nice to reflect back on you're like, Oh, I can touch back on that from like, you know, back in the day. But yeah. we kind of want to hear, you know, something where we can step into it now also. You know, I'm in my yeah. 50s and I'm kind of like, I love music of every age and every genre, but there's something really poignant when I hear a story that's being told where it, it hits me in the heart because I'm in that now. Yeah, same. And I, I feel like, you know, that there's a way just like, you know, older people can relate to songs written by 20 year olds. I think that 20 year olds can relate to songs written by 50 year olds. You know, I think that as long as the music's great, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, and there are examples of that through time. And it's interesting, you know, in other fields in, in film and TV, of course, like young flashy movie stars are, are one thing, but when it comes to the directors and the writers, you know, the, 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 the wisdom and the age, and when it comes to novels and it comes to authors and it comes to, to painters and in those industries, you know, wisdom and experience is very much valued. And then for some reason in the music business, it is the opposite. Um, so I want to make sure that with Facet, I open doors for just the most talented people that I come across. And it doesn't matter their age and it doesn't matter how long they've been in the business and haven't had that big break yet. It doesn't, none of that matters to me. What matters to me is that they have a clear point of view and that they give a fuck about what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you think about what you're doing, you know, so you're not just a business owner on that side of things. And, and, but you know, you're stepping into this really fascinating role of mentor where you're working with people, regardless of who they are, who are sort of like in, in the early season of their writing careers. Yeah. So you've been out there as a performer, you have been out there as a songwriter and a collaborator and in this role of mentor, how is that different for you? It's beautiful. It's frustrating. It's uh, rewarding. It makes me fall in love with music over and over again, like watching people get really excited for their, their first big cut, for their first big song that has a shot at radio, for their first, for the first song that they get that someone makes a music video for. You know, all that stuff is so exciting, but it's also, you know, it is, um, you know, watching people self-sabotage and watching people get in their own way, um, watching people second guess um, is not, you know, I would be lying to you if I said it's the easiest thing to do. It's not, <laughs> it's not easy to do. And also it's not easy to watch me fuck up sometimes as a mentor of like, oh, maybe I was too hard on them here. Maybe I wasn't hard enough here. Or maybe, you know, I, no one, I, what I have learned in a big way is that like, not everyone can work the way that I do. And when I first got a chance to write songs with and for other people, I just hit the ground running and I was writing 10 songs a week, 12 songs a week, eight songs. I mean, it's just an insane amount of music. And, you know, but in a lot of these sessions, 
there are young people pouring their hearts out and I am there to gather the ideas and focus the ideas, which can be very emotionally draining, but the, the core of the idea, the heart of it is not mine in a lot of my sessions. So it's easier for me, even though it can be emotionally exhausting, <laughs> it can be a lot, it's easier for me to keep going and have this, this output that is, is not human. A lot of writers, no matter the age, they can't do that number because the stories are coming from deep, deep, deep within them. And there just aren't that many to tell, you know, <laughs> you can, whereas I'm organizing and focusing and elevating a lot of them. So I can, then when there are two songs a week that are my stories, well, then there's eight a week that aren't, you know, so those two, I, you know, anyway, so being a mentor and learning that I need to understand how everybody works, not just myself. And I need to, you know, with Mark Taylor, who runs my publishing company, specifically talking about writers right now. You know, Mark Taylor's really good at listening to them and, and figuring out what are, the, what are the right sessions. And not that we're going to get it perfect every time, but, you know, it's a really, really beautiful process to like, how do you really slay for somebody? And each person is different. So each person has a, has a different way to slay for them. It's not always going to be the same. So yeah, being a mentor is great. Long story, not short. Being a mentor is amazing, but it's uh it's a whole other creative process that I never imagined I would be taking, but I'm so glad that I am. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like you, you, know, you share in the lows, right? But you also share in that there's a Yiddish word that I love. Grandmother used to use naches, which translates roughly to it's, it's the joy you feel when somebody succeeds who you so love and, and hold that you feel it as your own. You know, oh, I and, and I feel like, like there's got to be some of that with, with these people too, because you see them struggling, you see them working yeah. and stumbling and stumbling and stumbling. And when they finally like get something where the market's like, yeah, that, that's got to feel amazing, yeah. not just for them, but for you also. It's so exciting. It just feels so good to watch someone be happy. It feels so good to watch, even if it's just like a session, like, oh, call someone, Hey, we're going in with. So and so, a list artists. Oh, we're flying to New York to to work on the Ariana album, whatever it is. And to like, I'm excited, but um, I don't want to say that you know. I mean, things do become relative. So I'm always grateful. I'm always so appreciative when somebody who I respect wants to work with me. But it does, you know, I'd be lying if I said it didn't. It doesn't become you know relative, and you don't get somewhat desensitized to it. But watching a new writer be like, "What the fuck are we doing? Where are we going?" Who, wait, they really want us in the room with them? That is like, uh, that makes me remember my life. It wasn't, and by the way, it wasn't that long ago. It's not <laughs> like, you know, it's like, <laughs> it was, you know, 2015 was the year, first year I started getting like sessions with, with A-list people. But I'm so grateful to be brought back to that feeling, to be brought back to that 2015 feeling. And of course, there are some amazing brilliant people I haven't had the chance to work with yet. And so when I, hopefully if I ever get those phone calls, I will get that feeling myself all over again. But there is something really beautiful about getting that feeling, you know, every couple of weeks with one of the people that I, I work with. Yeah. It's almost like in a weird way, by working with all these different people, you increase the likelihood that that happens more often. Even if it's at a lesser level, it becomes like a consistent hum. <laughs> yep. Completely. It does. And it's just cool. And it's like, we have these amazing producer writers who are in Miami right now working with a lot of really cool people. And I'm just seeing on their Instagram, all these amazing writers and, and, and people they're co-producing with. And I just get excited for the roommates looking at their Instagram. I'm like, Oh shit, they're in with them. Oh my God. That's awesome. Oh my God. This is so cool. Like it's just, I don't know. It makes me happy. 
even though most of the time Instagram brings me sadness, that is the part of Instagram that brings me a lot of joy. (laughs) (laughs) It is the double-edged sword of like every form of social media (laughs) out there on the planet. Good Life Project is sponsored by Lexus GX. So have you ever owned something that inspired you to just up your game? For me, it was this high-end mountain bike. I love the ultralight frame, the suspension, the precision gearing, and I realized it deserved to be ridden to its full potential. So I started training harder so I could experience the joy it could give back to me. And it paid off. That bike helped me discover just new levels of performance and straight up joy. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Imagine tackling rugged landscapes with the available 33 inch all terrain tires and multi terrain select, then unwinding with the available front row massaging seats. This is a vehicle that inspires you to go further to live up to its full potential. So why settle? Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. You know, it's interesting also because, you know, so you're in this endeavor right now and you're playing this new role. And at the same time, the business at large is changing profoundly, yeah. like in the fastest ways <laughs> from, you know, like moving to the old days to streaming. And now, you know, like in, in the blink of an eye, everyone's talking about NFTs <laughs> in the music industry. <laughs> so and it's, it's kind of crazy. It's like you're, you're in this position where, you know, like I'm watching this from the outside in, but you're living this mm-hmm. every day. <laughs> it's, um, it's a shit show. <laughs> it's not ideal. <laughs> but, uh, you know, what I keep going back to from, to like preserve my own heart and to preserve my own love for making music and making any form of art is like, I got to keep focus on but then again none of this matters this business does not matter if the music isn't great this these nfts don't matter if you don't the only reason you're going to care about these artists to i think i don't even know if the word is buy an nft i think it is if you know if you're going to buy an nft the only reason you're going to do it is because you really care about this artist and they have taken you on such a long-term journey with them for at least a couple albums you know if your nft is going to be worth anything right 
It's at least a couple albums for the most part that you really care about this person. You care about their music. So I just keep going back to, we have on, on Facet Records, we have this um, unbelievable new artist named Jake Wesley Rogers, who's putting out his first single, I want to say May 7th, but those dates can always change. But let's just say May of 2021, whenever you're listening to this. And he is just the realest of real deals. He can sit alone at a piano and write a song that blows your mind. He can co-write with people and with me and blow my mind. He can perform his ass off. He can create this visual for his debut video that's coming that is like bonkers, but yet just strip it all back and sing to you through his phone and your heart breaks or your heart celebrates. Or So I just keep to not be driven insane by, you know, the bad executives of the business. Just, we need a layup. Just find someone who's researching well. Just do this. Just do that. Um, And those things are valid. And there are some amazing musicians that just, I mean, I think Lil Nas X, I talk about all the time. I think he's a genius. Um, You know, so there are those people that just kind of pop off out of nowhere with quote unquote good data and good research. So I'm not shading the people that started their careers that way. Just for me personally to be inspired, someone like Jake Wesley Rogers there's this video of him, a song, he performs it live and it's called Jacob from the Bible and he performs it in a church. And it's like, I just have to focus on things like that and be like, yes, one day it's going to stream well. Hope It might be the day it comes out. It might be a year afterwards. I don't care. One day he's going to sell out stadiums. It might be a year after his debut album. It might be 10 years after his debut album. I, I can't care about that else I'm going to quit. <laughs> So I, I have to focus on true talents who are living their truth through their music, who believe in their craft, who push themselves in their craft, who study their craft. And that doesn't mean music school if that's not your thing or that's not available to you. It just means that you figure it the fuck out and you don't give up learning your, you know, and growing yourself. And so, yeah, the business is ever changing. And, you know, pop music is not the coolest genre in the world right now. Um, hip hop is. And I think hip hop every, has every right to be the coolest genre in the world. I only mention it because I come from the pop songwriting community and the pop A&R people at labels and pop publishers. And everyone's in a fucking panic right now because we're not cool. <laughs> I'm just like, chill the fuck out. Like, it's going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. It's a, but what an important reminder, right? To, to sort of like bring it back to like, you know what? You can't control the trappings of the industry, the distribution systems, the money and all this stuff. But the one thing that you can control is to be honest and to to devote yourself to the and craft. And do you love it? And, to, and do you yeah. love it? Do you love what you're giving your right. time to? As a songwriter, as an artist, as an executive, as a mentor, do you love it? That's all I can fucking gauge anymore. You know, the, the, the times where I try to like think, oh, I think that's just a smart business choice. It's never, it's never worked for me. It does work for some people. Some people have that brain. My brain does not work that way. So I just can't, I can't think about it. And I have to mute certain Instagrams that like pull up the data from the industry or the charts or all that stuff. Because once you get obsessed with it, I feel like that's when I like have a bad week of writing because I'm not thinking about what I love. Yeah. It, it's like, it pulls you out of your heart. Yep. Um, and then even if you have something that's fine, I, I often wonder, like if you go there, and even if you figure out the algorithm that lets you be, quote, financially successful, which is that, you know, if you know that it's not actually the deepest part of you, like what you really want to be saying and, and how you want to be in the world showing up yeah. through that, 
it's still going to leave you hollow. Completely. You're like, okay, so you can pay your rent, which is important, but there's a deeper thing, which still like stays empty. Completely. And I, I feel like, you know, some people get into this business for money and I am so grateful for the financial security that I have for me and my parents. And I'm never, ever trying to like shade that or demean that. And I'm never trying to be unaware of my privilege, but I did not get into this business for money. I got into it because I had something to say. I got into it because music makes me feel better than anything. I got into it because I just wanted to make things that people heard and that maybe affected them. And so like, the, if I obsess over the money part of it, it's just never going to work for me. But some people, that is how they plan and function and scheme and create and like fucking good for them. But sounds exhausting to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, for you, like you, you coming from a heart center place has been such a common theme. And, and then also it, it, it extends beyond you. We've been focused a lot on the music, but yeah. you know, th there's more than that in your life. And part of it, I know what your devotion has been since from the earliest days is saying, okay, so how can we put this together in a way that also helps disenfranchised, marginalized communities rise up, be recognized, yeah. you know, like be able to exist in an equitable space in the world. You know, and a lot of that has shown up for you um, in an increasing way. And in you saying yes to devoting your time, your resources to all sorts of um, foundations and efforts, you know, from being on the board of GLAD to, um, you know, and I know 2016 after the Pulse nightclub, you know, that was a big moment for you yeah. where you sort of, you know, you harness people to bring them together. But it, it you know, in Spirit Day concert in LA, which was, I guess, 2019, right? We did it three years in a row now. So I think it was oh, 2018. Oh, wow, that's amazing. No, 2017, 18, and 19, right? Because last Got year- it. We Oh, I it. thought it was two. I didn't realize it was three. Yeah, it was three. Um, but I mean, it seems like that is really you, you saying, okay, yes to the music. This is what I love. But also, there's this whole other way that I can step into the world and contribute that's really deeply, fully meaning to me. Um, and, and it seems like that is just a huge part of what takes up your heart and your mind these days as well. Yeah, it it's um it has been since I was young. I don't know why. I mean, my parents are amazing people. I talk about them all the time. Yeah, it's a it's a big part of who I am, and it's a big part of what makes me happy. And you know, as a kid, the AIDS benefit I created at my high school, um, the the work that I did after the Pulse shooting in Orlando, the board of Glad. I'm on the board of trustees for ACLU SoCal. I'm on the musicians council for every town, the gun safety organization. Um, it's just a huge, I feel like if you have any sort of privilege and you're not paying it forward, you're just a piece of shit. You know, I, all the time I quote Roxanne Gay, who says, if you're listening to this or you're reading this, you have some form of privilege because there are people in the world who can't listen to this and can't read this. Um, and my privilege is bountiful. And I feel like if I'm not paying that forward at all times, then I should, what, what is the point of this? And, you know, that is just such an important part of what I want to do. And I'm, and what I'm loving too, is I'm seeing, I'm seeing gaps in it. You know, the, I believe so much that we need so many more trans and gender nonconforming voices, specifically um, trans and gender nonconforming people of color in the music business and in the arts world as a whole. And you know, Shia Diamond's unbelie this unbelievable artist that I work with, she performs at all these amazing events. And, uh, you know, to quote her, and I don't think she'll get mad at me for quoting her, 
you know, I am the people that they are raising money for. Somebody give me the fucking money. Like, you know, like I am the community. Um, so somebody help me. And so I'm, I'm seeing these gaps and, and, and I, and my next, my next big dream is I want to, um, you know, I'm going to buy, I'm not want to, I'm going to, I'm going to buy a building here in Los Angeles to start. Hopefully they end up all over the country and all over the world um, where we can house trans and gender nonconforming artists of all types of art and give them a place to stay for free for a couple of years uh, and ha- have there be, a, you know, a, a basement or a ground floor where there can be community activities and, and things that all young artists need to need to learn. I mean, I still don't even know how to do my fucking taxes. You know, I, I think God checkbooks ended because I couldn't handle that, you know, like, but most importantly, give trans people a chance and gender nonconforming people a chance to, you know, move to LA or if they're already here, they can, they can really just focus on their art for a couple of years. Because we keep, you know, and I'm one of those people, we keep saying, you know, we got to open these doors and blah, blah, blah. But like opening doors is one thing, but can they survive while they're trying to walk through them? Um, so that is the next step for me that I want to do while, while continuing to support all these humongous, amazing national organizations, but do something that's more on a local level um, that can really like help people's specific day-to-day life. And that's kind of my next step. But for me, it's, it's never going to stop. Um, the whole fun of of succeeding and making this money is to give it away and to find fucking cool things to do with it and to bring people joy and bring people security because I have enough. Mm, I love that. That's beautiful. Um, and before we come full circle, there's one other thing that has literally just dropped down into my radar. That's something that you've been working on in stealth mode <laughs> that now is no longer stealth mode that I want to ask you about because it sounds amazing. You're working on a musical. Yes. Um, with Adina Menzel and Eve Ensler. Yes. <laughs> It's, I literally, you just said that and I'm not kidding. I just got chills, <laughs> even though I've been working on it for two years, <laughs> but hearing other people say it, uh, gives me chills. Uh, and I, I honestly can't, I'm, I'm getting emotional. I don't, I'm, I'm a crazy person. I feel crazy. Um, I'm getting emotional because, uh, it's such a dream come true for me. And, you know, the reason I started making music was because of musicals. And then singer-songwriters and glam bands got me distracted. I'm glad they distracted me because it was a great journey. But musicals are why I got into music and working with these brilliant fucking women who are the best at this art form. You know, they are, the, they are. you know, I mean, I think the Vagina Monologues is one of the most important pieces of political theater of all time, written by Eve Ensler, who now, now goes by V, and Adina Menzel, Obviously, between Rent and Wicked and Frozen, I mean, she and what's great is Adina is writing these songs with us. So we have the star's perspective of what she needs as an actress and what 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 beats we are missing to get her there emotionally. And then most importantly, it is a musical about um, climate crisis and it's focusing specifically on the extinction of animals and the extinction of independent farmers. So. It's a really powerful piece so far, and it's feeling really, really good. And American Repertory Theater is behind it. Diane Paulus is directing it, Tony Award-winning director. Uh, so I am in the company of these like three brilliant fucking women who know this art form inside and out. And I just get to sit there and listen and learn, and then like be fierce when it's my turn. You know, <laughs> it's it's unbelievable. I love it. That sounds incredible. I'm curious about something. Um, your 
you've created the opportunity now to, in an interesting way, kind of come full circle to when you started out, um, you know, and you walk into that high school for the first time and then you have one or two people who say, huh, this kid needs to be here. Um, and then invest in you and, and play the role of mentor. It's like you're, you're stepping into that in a really powerful way right now. I'm trying to as carefully as possible because being a mentor is uh, a very important thing and I don't want to fuck it up. <laughs> so I'm trying to step into that role as safely and as beautifully as possible. And I hope that I'm succeeding. Yeah. It feels like a good place for us to come full circle as well. So hanging out here in this container of the Good Life Project. If I offer up the phrase to live a good life, what comes up? To live a good life for me, to hang out with my parents, which is very easy because they live with me. <laughs> um, uh, to be happy. Uh, and happiness comes in so many different ways. I've been sledding the last couple of days and it's made me happier than anything in the world. I'm watching my dog chase me down the fucking hill um, and just make make things. That's That's living a good life. Mm. And alcohol, that's always great. <laughs> During a pandemic, especially. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks also to our fantastic sponsors who help make this show possible. You can check them out in the links we have included in today's show notes. And while you're at it, if you've ever asked yourself, what should I do with my life? We have created a really cool online assessment that will help you discover the source code for the work that you're here to do. You can find it at sparkatype.com. That's S-P-A-R-K-E-T-Y-P-E. Com, or just click the link in the show notes. And of course, if you haven't already done so, be sure to click on the subscribe button in your listening app so you never miss an episode. And then share, share the love. If there's something that you've heard in this episode that you would love to turn into a conversation, share it with people and have that conversation. Because when ideas become conversations that lead to action, that's when real change takes hold. See you next time.